But this Sunday, we're going to continue with our series that we've been going through. We've been going through the book of Philippians, uh, Joy at All Times. So uh, this Sunday, we're going to start in chapter 3. We are at the halfway mark of Philippians. So let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Paul writing says, finally, brethren. It's funny. He says, finally, but it's only halfway. Right? So he says, finally, he's trying to close. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, to write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Now, it's interesting what he says here. So he's trying to, he's going to start closing, closing the, uh, the letter, okay? But he has still a lot more to say. It's only 50%, right? So, but he says, again, rejoice in the Lord, okay? So if you've been with us, you know that he's been mentioning this almost in every section that we've been going through, talking about joy, talking about rejoicing. And we've mentioned it several times about Paul's emphasis about joy. And that's why we had the tagline for this, this, going through this book, Joy at All Times. And it's interesting when we look at this because I think the second part is, is really good. What he writes, he says, to write the same things again to you is no trouble to me. So it's something that he's repeated to them before. It's not the first time he's told them. But he said, it's no trouble for me and it's a safeguard for you. So if you were with us uh, last Sunday, you remember how I shared a lot of things about how God used different things in my life to remind me, right? So I looked at 11-11. When I see that 11-11 on a clock, I think of my friend who's born on November 11th, and I pray for my friend, and I see different things that God uses to remind me. Because a lot of times, we're just out of sight, out of mind. Like, whatever's not right in front of us, it's hard for us to keep paying attention to. So the Bible talks a lot about remembering, right? And tie this to your forehead, put this on your doorpost, and do all of these things to keep reminding yourselves of various truths in your life and things that are important to you. So a little while ago, I tried to do this practice where um, I would post different things on the wall, okay? So a different scripture or a, a quote that I heard, uh, and then I would type it on the computer, and then I would just paste it on the wall. So every time I would walk by, I would see it, right? And I would see that verse, or I would see that, that quote, and it just continues to encourage me and help me to remember, right? So as Paul writes, he's writing again, and how many times has he talked about joy already? He's talked about joy several times already. He says, but again, in my closing, I'm going to say rejoice. And this is not the last time he's going to say rejoice. He's going to say it again. But he says rejoice in the Lord. We need to keep remembering. So I just want to ask you today, can we remember? And the question I wanted to ask you is, what does your joy tank look like today? Is it on empty? Is it half full? Is it overflowing? And then the next question is, what does the Lord want our joy tank to look like? And I believe that as much as Paul is emphasizing, he wants our tank to be full. We talked about this uh, from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, when the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that's continuing. The Lord is continuing to remind me of this truth as we've been going through this book. And Paul keeps talking about joy. God keeps reminding me of Nehemiah 8.10, where Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's interesting when, when Nehemiah is writing that, they're coming out of exile. You know, they're, the Israelites are coming out of exile, and they're trying to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the city, and they're just now coming out of this captivity for 70 years, right? And then he writes, the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
It's what's going to propel us into the future, coming back. You know, and I thought, that's pretty appropriate for us. We're coming back. We, luckily for us, it hasn't been 70 years of quarantine, but we're coming back, right? And one of the things the Lord has really emphasized to me is keep remembering to have joy. Keep remembering to, and joy is, remember we talked about joy versus happiness. Joy is not a jump up and down type of thing. Joy can be inner peace. Joy can be thanksgiving. Joy could be peace amidst the storm. Joy could be um, a lot of different things. It could be praise. It could be whatever the Lord gives you. Okay, it doesn't have to be where you're going through difficult things and you feel like I need to jump up and down and be happy and smile all the time. That's not necessarily what he's talking about with joy. But it can be. It can be that too. So if that's what you're experiencing, let that come out. Let that come out. And we'll keep talking about it as we go through because Paul, he keeps talking about it. And it's no trouble to me to keep reminding you. And it's a good safeguard for you to keep that on the forefront of your minds. To know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Okay, so Paul continues on here and he says, he reminds him of this. Chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 2. He says, now, beware of the dogs. Okay, who are the dogs? Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of things he's saying in here that we have to kind of explain. What is, what is he talking about? What is Paul talking about when he's talking about the false circumcision and the true circumcision? Is he saying that there's a right way to cut that skin or is there a wrong way to cut it? Is there a false way? Is there a right way? Okay, that's not what he's talking about. Okay, so what he's talking about, and actually it's interesting because in other translations it says beware of the mutilators of the flesh. Right? It's very graphic, right, when he's talking about the circumcision. Right? So what is Paul talking about here? Well, to understand what Paul is talking about, you have to understand the context of what's happening. So you have people who grew up in the Jewish culture and according to the law. And uh, it's funny, like, you know when you, go to, when you go to heaven, there's like questions you want to ask God about, right? So one of the questions I want to ask God about is when you look at the Old Testament, he gives two signs to mark his people, okay? So the people of Israel, he gives two signs to say, these are my people, okay? One of the signs is the Sabbath, right? My people are going to rest on the seventh day. Okay, that's going to mark them. That's going to set them apart from everybody. That's keep working, 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 working. If they're going to set aside the seventh day. And every seventh year, they're going to set aside a whole year, right? That's how radical this is. They're going to be set apart. Okay, that's the first mark that he gives uh, Israel. The second mark, circumcision, okay? This is what I want to ask God about. Sabbath, I kind of get. I kind of get that, right? They're not working, and God's providing, and that sets them up. Why is this a sign for the Lord, for God's people, circumcision? I still don't know. Like, after all of these years of studying and stuff, I don't know. It's what I want to ask God. But this is what he chose. He chose as one of the earmark signs for his people, circumcision. Okay, to be circumcised. So what was happening here was the people were requiring those that became Christians to still be circumcised, right? And we see this actually in several of his letters. He talks about this. So he's talking about here the false circumcision, the circumcision meaning if I follow the law, then I can be saved, right? And that's a false circumcision. The true circumcision is actually one of the heart. 
saying that's the true circumcision. So when Paul is talking about be careful, be careful of these people that want you to keep following the rules and following the laws in order to be saved. Saying the true circumcision, and we are the true circumcision is what he's telling the church. We are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay? So what does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, so they're going to worship in spirit. Okay, so we kind of have a sense of maybe what that means. They're going to glory in Christ Jesus. But it's the last part I want to focus in on. And put no confidence in the flesh. What is the flesh? Okay, so if you're reading through the New Testament, they talk about the flesh a lot. It occurs many, many, many times throughout Paul's writing. He talks about the flesh. What in the world does Paul talk about when he mentions the flesh? Okay, what's hard to understand is it has a lot of different meanings. Okay, so one, it could actually literally mean our flesh. Okay, and when he talks about our flesh, he's talking about our physical body. Okay, so sometimes Paul, when he mentions the flesh, talks about our physical body. Okay, but that seems the more, I guess, easier one to kind of understand when you see that. There's actually another way he uses the flesh. Okay, we'll look at, look at that here, which is what he's going to talk about. What is the flesh? It's a pattern of thinking developed by living life on our own apart from God. Okay, the kind of flesh that he's talking about here is the pattern of thinking that we've developed. It's like a habit. Okay, that's another way to think about the flesh is like a habit. It's a habit you've built up from doing it the same way over and over and over all throughout your life. You're living your life on your own apart from God. That's the flesh. Okay, so when Paul talks about it in this metaphorical way, he's talking about this. He's talking about this pattern of thinking that we've developed all throughout our life where we're constantly focused in on our own doing apart from God. This is what he's warning us against, saying don't be like those that are focused on that. We, the true circumcision, the true church, don't put confidence in the flesh. Okay, so then he gives some examples. He says in verse 4 through 6, he says, although I myself, he's talking about himself, might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is, from, which is in the law, found blameless. Okay, so what Paul is saying is interesting. He's saying, I don't want you to put confidence in the flesh, right? Like some of these people are, when they're thinking, you can do it by yourself. You don't need Jesus. You can do it by yourself. You can get circumcised. You can follow the law. You can do it by yourself. You can do this relationship with God by yourself. Paul's saying, no, you can't do it by yourself. Don't put confidence in your own doing. Don't put confidence in your own performance. Don't put confidence in your own flesh. Right? And he's saying, if anybody has reason to, I do. But I'm not doing that, right? He, I'm, I'm trying to not do that. So he gives all of his resume, right? So he says, I far more should have confidence in the flesh. I was circumcised on the eighth day, which is according to the, to the law. You're supposed to circumcise your child on the eighth day, 
Okay, so he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the nation of Israel, like we said, God's chosen people. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, where Israel's first king, Saul, came from the tribe of Benjamin. He said, that's my tribe. That's where I came from. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, which means my parents were both Hebrews, right? They were both Hebrew. I wasn't a convert. I didn't become a Jew later. Both my parents were, were Hebrews. I'm a purebred is what he's saying. I am pure 100% from the nation of Israel, one of God's chosen people. Okay, he's talking about his heritage, his family line. I have no diluted blood in me, is what he's saying. Then he's saying, and as for me, according to the law, I was a Pharisee. A Pharisee is, was one of the most strict sects uh, in, Jewish, in the Jewish uh, culture in practicing of the religion. They were like the all-stars, okay? They would be like the pastors and not only the pastors, but the pastors of the pastors, like the ones who are teaching like in the seminaries and those would be the Pharisees. Those would be like the ones that are experts in the law, the ones teaching everybody else. Those are the Pharisees. And he's saying, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. And not only was I a Pharisee, I was one of the top Pharisees. We learn later that he was groomed by one of the top people, uh, recognized teachers in the law, Gamaliel. And he uh, was so zealous, he would persecute the church, and he was so righteous that on the outside, he was blameless. Like when everybody, when anybody would look at Paul's life, they would have nothing against him. So like, for instance, if Paul was on the, was uh, in court, and they brought up witnesses to come up and to try to witness against him and his character, nobody would have anything to say. They couldn't bring anything up. Okay, it reminds me of Jesus. Like when they came and bring up different witnesses against Jesus, they had to make it up, right? Because he actually didn't do anything wrong. But it's interesting because Paul emphasizes the righteousness actually that is related to the law on the outward surface. He talks about elsewhere, he's not blameless, right? He talks about in Romans 7 that he struggled with being covetous. He struggled with all these different things. Elsewhere, he says, I'm the worst of all sinners. He's saying on the outside, on the outward appearance, what everybody else is seeing, he looked blameless on the outside because he followed the law. He followed not just the law, but the Pharisees had additional laws. Like the example that I always give is like, they have the Sabbath, right? Which means you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Okay, the Pharisees were so zealous about trying to follow it, they had a whole bunch of other instructions what it means to follow the Sabbath. They had over 300 rules of what it means to follow the Sabbath. You can't spit on the ground, because if you spit on the ground, something might grow. You can't carry this. You can't put this light on. You can't do it. They have all of these. He followed all of those according to the rules, according to the law, blameless. He was the top of the top. MVP, all-star, head of the class, valedictorian. This is Paul, right? He's saying, I had success in the things that I was doing in my career, in my vocation. I was the top. I was the one everybody looked to. No one could find any blame or fault in me. This is what Paul was saying. He said, if anybody has reason to be able to trust in their own ability, me, I would. I have every reason to trust in my ability. But he says, you can't put confidence in the flesh. And why does he say that? Why does he say that? I think he says that because we fall into this trap, 
okay? It's called like a performance trap where we're constantly focused in our own performance, where we're looking at our achievement. We're looking at what we're producing. Other people judge us. You know, other people judge us based upon what we do. We find ourselves judging ourselves based on what we do. We try to trust in our experience. We try to trust in our training. We try to trust in our education. And we're after success in those different areas. And actually, what's really ironic is when you actually have success in those areas. That actually is worse for you. Okay, so let me give you an example. So, uh, growing up, Okay, I grew up in a typical kind of Asian household where they emphasized education, right? It's the thing that they valued the most, and I pushed myself. Uh, I pushed myself to become a good student, and I worked really hard because I didn't get any affirmation from my parents, and so this is what I felt like they wanted. So then I tried to be good at that. So I studied really hard. I became a good, well, I don't know if I studied really hard in the beginning, but I tried, I tried to focus in on getting good grades to at least look like I'm a good student, right? And eventually, I became a good student, you know? So I was an undergrad. I had two undergraduate degrees. Then I went on to a PhD program, and then I went and got my master's degree in economics, and then I got my master's degree in divinity, and I have two undergraduate degrees, two graduate degrees, and then I went on to go teach at community college, right? So then when I taught at community college, I had success. So I was just starting out as a, a part-time community college teacher. So I was at three different schools. I'm not sure if I mentioned this in the past, but I was at you know, Cerritos College and El Camino College and Irvine Valley College. And I was like driving down the freeway, down the 405, up and down all those different places. And at every school, I had success. Okay, so I think they still have this, right? I think actually it's even more developed. You have it where the students, like they rate the professors, right? Have you ever done that? Where you go and you rate the professor, they have an evaluation and you fill out this little form and you rate them, right? In all three schools, I had the highest reviews in every class, okay, in my department. And not only that, when you're a part-time person, the dean has to come in and evaluate you every semester, okay? So every semester of every school. So I had like many times where the dean has to come and to observe me, right? And so I remember talking to the dean, they had this meeting, right? And I still remember I was sitting in the dean's office and I was kind of nervous, right? You're kind of nervous when you get called to the dean's office and they, they're evaluating you. And so I'm sitting there with the dean and the dean asked me, how many years of teaching have you uh, had? And I said, uh, about a year. And she said, I can't believe that. That can't be true. You carry yourself like someone who has like 15 years of experience. Can I tell you, my head started growing really, really, really big as she was, more than she was talking. Like, I can't keep my head up straight and I could have, couldn't get out the door, my head was so big. But I was getting all of the success early on, okay, with my teaching. That led me to go into ministry and in ministry, I did more teaching. I became like a teaching pastor and I would teach something different, not economics, but I would teach the Bible. And then I would get a lot of praise for teaching the Bible and I got Praise for even in my preaching class in seminary that I did really well in my preaching class and the professors were telling me how great I am at preaching and I really fell into this performance trap headlong and sinker, right? And what helped me to do that? What helped me to fall into this trap of trusting myself in the flesh? My success. It's so ironic that it's our success that actually makes this worse. 
right? I had success in school, had success in teaching, I had success in ministry, and that actually was my downfall. And I say it was my downfall because I was just trusting in myself. I wasn't trusting in God. I didn't have the Holy Spirit working in me. I didn't feel a sense of his joy and his power. Instead, I felt burnt out. I felt tired all the time. I was doing successful. I was doing well. People were giving me different accolades. But inside, I was dying. I'm so tired. I'm tired all the time. I just don't know what I'm going to do. In my previous church before Catalyst, where we planted that, my previous church, at the end of my tenure there, I was thinking about quitting ministry. Right? That's actually one of the reasons why I went into this Standing Stone ministry to walk together with other pastors, because I know what it's like. I was ready to leave the ministry. But on the surface, I looked great. I was successful. Everybody liked me. Everybody was uh, giving me uh, positive affirmation about the things I was doing, whether it's my preaching or teaching or leading or whatever. But inside, it was not true. Inside, I was tired. Inside, I was worn out. I was worn out trying to do it on my own. Because this is not the way that God made us. He didn't make us to go in the flesh. He didn't make us to go and trust in our own ability. And the more we keep going in the performance trap, the harder and harder it is for us. And ironically, like I said, it's the successes that make it difficult for us. Now, it's interesting because um, the Lord kind of spoke to me th about this, and he started showing and revealing this to me, how I was really trusting in the flesh, and how this was really preventing me from experiencing God. And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? How can we experience God? How can we experience his power? How can we experience his character? How can we experience his provision if we keep doing it? Think about it. If you keep doing it, how are you ever going to see God move? How are you ever going to see him show up in miraculous ways if you're always doing it? If you're always taking the lead, if you're always taking control, if you're always trying to drive everything, if everything is driven by your own strength and your own power, and your own wisdom and your own knowledge and your own trying and determination, when are you ever going to see the God of the universe show up in your life? And I didn't. Even as a pastor, I didn't have it. I didn't see God show up. As the Lord started speaking to me about this and started recognizing and pointing out how much I was trusting in myself, it was hard. It's hard to look in the mirror and to see that and to admit that and to see like, wow, I really have been trusting in my flesh. I've been really trusting in my own doing and my own trying and my own thinking and my own effort. It's hard to come to that conclusion. But after that conclusion, the Lord was saying, what should we do about it? You know, how can we break free from that? You know, and one way he started breaking free about that is the area I, I talked to you about, which was teaching. Right? So when I would prepare my messages, okay, I would memorize my messages. Okay? So I would just memorize it. Right? So I would write out my message during the week. And I'd prepare ahead of time, and I'd write, I'd have it all down, and then on Saturday, I would keep going over it and over it and over it until I memorized it, right? And I took pride in that, that I would go up on Sunday, and i have it all memorized, 
right? And actually, I didn't do it for that reason. It's because like, I'm really bad at like, finding my place. So whenever I try to read, I, I didn't know where I was. And so that's why I actually had to memorize it. But that's what I did. I started memorizing it, right? And then the Lord started speaking to me about this whole process of me doing this teaching. He's saying, like, who are you doing this for? You know, why are you taking so much pride in memorizing your messages and, and the things that you're doing, right? And then he started directing me and asking me this question. Is like, it's interesting because, like, when I was preparing my messages, I really felt like God speaking to me. I really felt like he was present with me. And then on Sunday, I didn't feel it at all. Zero power, zero sense of God's presence or spirit. And I said, what's happening, Lord? How come when I'm preparing the message, I feel your presence and I feel your Holy Spirit with me? But when I'm actually up there, I don't feel anything. He says, because you're in the flesh. When you're getting ready for the message, you don't have the message yet. You're dependent on me. You're desperate for me to speak to you. What are you going to give me? You need to give me something so I can share. You were dependent upon me. You weren't in the flesh. And as a result, you felt my spirit. You felt power. You felt God's anointing. You felt the Holy Spirit active and working in you. And that's why the material itself is good when you go up there. But you became and you took it over and became in the flesh. You kept practicing over and over and over again. So you would look perfect up there and you wouldn't make any mistakes and people wouldn't look at you funny and people wouldn't wondering if you knew what you're talking about up there. I became in the flesh. And so the Lord challenged me. I want you to stop doing that. I want you to stop practicing. And I was like, Okay, Lord, <laughs> I don't know if I can do that, right? So I, I tried it, right? So I tried it, and I prepared, and then I still practiced, but I practiced less. That was my first step. I practiced less, so it wouldn't be like I wasn't as confident in being able to memorize it. And then the Lord kept working and working, right, and continued to let me let go of control, saying, stop trying to control. And so eventually I stopped practicing altogether. And eventually I changed how I prepared my message. And eventually what ended up happening was I changed my preaching. And you all have only heard me since the new version, but those that were walking with me in my previous church, because I was with them for 15 years, and some of them were at my previous church before that, so more than 20 years, they saw something drastic happen to me. I became a different person. Because before when I was preaching, I was more like a teacher saying, you know, like, the kind of boring teacher you don't like, right? They're just kind of on the blackboard. Number one is this. Number two is this. Number three is this. There's nothing wrong with that, right? And that's the way I preach, right? It's just one, two, three, and this is my point for this one, point for this, point for this one. But something changed in me when I let go of control. And people started noticing. People will come up to me after the message and say, Pastor Sam, don't take this the wrong way, but what happened to you? Like, you're like a different person. Like, I don't recognize who's up there, like, pre preaching, right? And so I was listening to, and several people would comment to me about that, right? And all the staff, church staff would comment to me. And you know what was interesting was when they were saying that to me, I knew what they were saying was true. I knew what they were saying was that while I was up there, while I was preaching, that it was different. But it was interesting is that what I did before, that felt different to me. What I was doing now really felt like this is who I really am. This is who I really am was coming out. 
This is what happens when we let go of the flesh. This is when we let go of our own performance, that we can start being who God really made us to be instead of who you think other people think you should be, who your boss thinks you should be, who your spouse thinks you should be, who yourself even think you should be, who the world thinks you should be, all these expectations from other people who you think you should be, who your parents think you should be. We have all these other voices determining who we think we are and what we think we should be doing. But we're never going to really know who we really are until we let go of our performance and really discover who God created us to be. So uh, as God was sharing with me this, I started writing all these things down. And it started to become a class, right, where I started teaching about these different things. And then eventually the class became a book. Okay, so here's a, here's a copy of the book. You can see it on the screen, and here's the copy right here. So I released this last January. Okay, so be free. Um, and this book is about this journey that the Lord has taken me on, about breaking free from our own performance, breaking free from all the weight and expectation and all the shackles that we feel because of what we're doing and other people's judgment and expectation on us. This book was about my journey breaking free from that and really discovering who I really am in Christ. And so in a month, we're gonna start that class here at this church, okay? It's gonna be every Wednesday, Okay, we're going to do it during the small groups uh, slot. And I want to encourage everybody in the church to take it. I want everybody in the church to take it because this will change your life. It will change your life dramatically if you could break free from feeling all the pressure and weight of this world on your own shoulders and give that over to the Lord. The Lord wants us to be free. And that's what Paul is writing here. Don't put confidence in the flesh. Because when you do, you won't experience who God is. You won't experience who you really are. And really, that's Paul's prayer, and that's my prayer. That's my prayer for all of us at THMC to really experience this truth. So why don't we pray? Father, we ask that you would come and to... Uh, Gosh, I feel like you are speaking right now. I feel like you're speaking to everyone seated here right now about how that's been true of us, about how we feel tired and worn out trying to do it on our own and trusting in our own performance, trusting in our own wisdom and strength. And I pray you'd give us the courage to hear your invitation this morning to give it to me. You don't have to trust in that anymore. Even if you've had success in that, especially if you've had success, you don't need to trust in that anymore. You can trust in what the Lord is going to do. That he wants to show you how big he is and how great he is and how wonderful he is and how powerful he is and how supernatural he is. He wants you to experience that on a daily basis in your life. So Holy Spirit, just keep speaking to us this truth and remind us of that uh, even during this week. In Jesus' name, amen.